Hello and welcome to the Sportscope Podcast. My name is Ryan Walker and with me, as always, is the excited Ruben Williams. How are you, mate? G'day, Ryan. I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. Always a pleasure to chat with you. Uh, those who watch us on YouTube, they'll be able to see this, but I just want to draw attention because your backdrop has changed. There's something hanging over your shoulder right now. What, what have you got behind you? That is my habit tracker. Uh, one thing that you have taught me over the last few months is to, uh, you know, look after your habits and, and get some routines in place. So I've got a few things up there. I won't read them out loud, but, um, you know, it's it's quite good. So that keeps me accountable. Uh, I believe you've got the same thing to mm. the right of your, or the right the right side of you right now. Yeah, it's it's, it's a bit off camera, but I'm looking up at it on mm. the wall now. It's uh, sitting out there. There's a couple of gaps, but it's it's in a much better yeah. position than it has been in recent months. So that's how's my, yours looking? Um, yeah, it's looking pretty good. Sorry, better talking to the microphone. It's looking pretty good. Um, couple of gaps, but nothing too uh, too bad. I think if there were to be gaps anywhere, that'd be where they are right now. So it's, I'm happy with that. But a good start to my habit tracking thus far. Um, let's get cracking. We could talk about habit tracking all day because uh, we do love our self-development and uh, what is it? Personal development books, all those kinds of things. So we better uh, we better move on. But before we do, uh, a quick message from our good friends at Deakin, uh, where every single course is backed by industry experts. So you can be confident you'll get the job you want with a degree employers want. Deakin University, progressive real-world learning. Ryan, the show is also brought to you by our good friends at Sports Where I Am. Give yourself a memorable summer to look forward to and head to sportswhereiam.com to find all your favorite sports. Plus, you can use the code SPORTSGRAD and grab 5% off your tickets. There's the Adelaide Test Match coming up very soon. We'll be heading to that. Um, plenty more on offer right around the world too. So head to the website and check out all the great offers. Brilliantly read, Ruben. Uh, if you want to learn more about who we are or want to ask us any questions, feel free to connect with us on LinkedIn. You can find a link to do so in the show notes. Rightio, let's get into it. Rubes, who have we got on today? Ryan, today we're chatting with Anna Livingston, who is the Chief Diversity and People Officer at Tennis Australia. She's got a background in HR, but now she sits across the management of people and recruitment at TA, as well as all the initiatives that go on to make Tennis Australia an inclusive workspace. Now, Ryan, she's coming in at the best time because Dylan Alcott is the GOAT of just about any sport. But then you, you throw him into, you know, disability sport as well. He's like the all-time greatest um, person in that space. He's just recently won the Golden Slam. He's an outstanding uh, ambassador for people with a disability participating in sport. And Anna has the absolute joy of working the sport and using Dylan as an advocate uh, to promote diversity and inclusion. So uh, awesome episode to hear from Anna and one of the leading organizations for people um, with a disability and making workplaces more inclusive. Absolutely. And a special shout out to Dylan. He, he'd be listening. So um, hello to you, mate. But um, so what are some things that stood out for you? Well, Ryan, what I really loved was 
Uh, Anna gave us a few details on the questions that people can ask of an employer to make sure that the workplace is fit for them. Now, not every uh, organization is going to have things set up so that people with a disability can walk straight in. So it's important that people can test them and ask the right questions. And Anna was able, able to provide a few of those questions that can help you uh, you know, bring, in, bring into an interview to make sure the organization is right for you. Yeah, absolutely. I, I loved how she went through all the things that Tennis Australia are doing to create an inclusive organization. And when you list them out, you think, wow, like that's a lot of activities, you know, all, all sorts of things to make sure that, you know, everyone's thinking about this and it's becoming normal. So I think that that's yeah. one of the great things she said. So um, she lists out a few things that, you know, I didn't know about, but wow, like it's pretty awesome that they're doing them. So tune in for that. That, that was awesome to hear. Mm. And then finally, for people who want to work in this space, who want to aspire to reach Anna's role, she talked about some of the things that you can do right now that are very easily attainable to grab experience in that space. You know, the imp- things that were important to her were very immersive. She threw herself straight in. She talked about some ones that people can get involved in too to increase their understanding of the space and just make it normal. Amazing, mate. Well, grab a pen. Enjoy this chat with Anna Livingston. Anna, welcome to the Sports Code Podcast. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Ruben. Great to be here. Anna, it's awesome to have you on. And it's I'd imagine it's a pretty good time to be working in diversity and inclusion when you've got someone like Dylan Alcott, who is what the star of this space, and you're working with Tennis Australia. What's it like um, having him involved? Oh, it's amazing. It's awesome. It's exactly what any kind of business leader wants with respect to a champion that you can be proud of. He's an incredible advocate for people with disability. He is just a legend. He's hilarious. He's a lovely person. He's very giving. He's very um, engaged. So with the sport of tennis, but also our business and helping our workforce to become more inclusive he's just an unbelievable role model and honestly like the perfect timing for my (laughs) role and him and it's yeah really good yeah well tell us a bit about your role what does um you know the chief of of diversity and people officer include oh look it's one of those kind of wanky titles but look basically (laughs) at the end of the day um I just look after the people side of the business. So at tennis, we have quite a, um, well, diverse in the sense of it's a broad workforce. So we cover um, what we call our year-round workforce, so the people that are largely responsible with getting more Australians to have a racket in their hand and play the sport. And then, of course, we deliver the Summer of Tennis major events, of which the Australian Open is the probably the most well-known. And so we have um, about 600 permanent staff and then we have we recruit up to sort of three to 4,000 um, casual and volunteers over the sort of summer period. So, yeah, my role oversees that group. And then with respect to sort of inclusion and diversity, it's really just about having that executive sponsor to champion that we want our sport to reflect the communities that we live in, um, which is incredibly diverse and that we need to be a sport and a workforce and and deliver events that's welcoming um, and safe for everyone. 
Love it. How did you um? How did you get into this space? Where where did it all start? Did you did you always want to work in diversity and inclusion, or how did it come about? Oh no. Um. Well, I mean, I would open by saying I am just an enthusiastic amateur. I didn't. I haven't studied in this space. I'm not by any stretch qualified. There are people far smarter than I. But I think for me, um, it probably connects back to my upbringing. So I'm one of four children, and my mum and dad both ran small businesses. But my mum had a, a a gift shop in just suburban Melbourne, and so. Us kids just grew up in the shop and we were all, you know, all hands on deck. And and so because of that environment, we would get all different people that would come into the shop. But not only were we exposed to quite a diverse, I suppose, customer base, but we were just taught from such a young age to be there to help, be there to serve, um, you know, treat everyone equally. And so I think that's maybe where I have a real passion and um yeah, burn to ensure that everyone is given equal opportunity. And then, yeah, it's just sort of manifested into the role I'm in today. I spent some time living and working in the Middle East um, for a really uh, international and culturally different um, organisation. So that really opened my eyes to other ways of, of living and working. And and though then just the similarities as well, we're all just people at the end of the day. So yeah, I don't know. I've just fallen into it, but I love it. And I'm really um, yeah, enthusiastic, I suppose, but not qualified. What were some of the roles that you had leading up to this one at Tennis Australia? Um, well, my background has been in kind of traditional HR and industrial relations. So that had been sort of my stomping ground. And um, what I had found with the organisations and roles I'd had pre-Tennis Australia were they had become not really deliberately, but I was just working with really diverse working groups. So whether that was, you know, in manufacturing with a broad demographic of cultures and sort of um, economic uh, groups within the workforce there and then, as I mentioned, within other parts of the world and then, of course, yeah, just with tennis now having exposure to sort of all of those marginalised segments um, has been yeah, just an absolute honour, honestly. And as I said, it's sort of conveniently the moons have aligned because having the likes of Dylan at tennis, while I happen to be at tennis, is like so, so cool. It's really amazing. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. It must be a fun fun place to work. Um, I know when, we, when we talk to a lot of people, they talk about how one of the most important parts of their job is having empathy for their audience or the people who their function tries to serve with respect to like diversity and inclusion what what has been I know what experience or or otherwise has been most significant to you in helping you empathize with the people that you aim to serve um I think for me so we have um a few team members at tennis at the moment who have um disabilities and they are I mean, they're incredible. They're just daily inspiration and working closely with them just opens your mind and, and eyes to a day in the life of. So I would I would encourage, and it's not that I've done heaps of it, but I just think I really believe that immersive learning and being around and 
just seeing the challenges that can be faced. Um, but then also seeking to form relationships and understand the person because that's the other thing that's been so um, clear to me is that we're all just people. It doesn't matter ability, background, colour of our skin, gender, anything. It's just people and I think the more we can have that first and anything else second is so so important really. Mm. Do you think Tennis Australia do this really well? You know, obviously we want to make every workplace as inclusive as we possibly can. Do you think Tennis Australia have made really good strides to make it one of the, the great places to work? If you do have a disability, if you don't have a disability, it doesn't matter. Um, it seems like it's it's a great place to work. Oh, look, I mean, I'm, I'm biased, of course. But, I mean, <laughs> yeah, look, it, it definitely, every business I think is on a growth of, you know, it, we talk about this journey of maturity and, you know, you never really reach that end point. I think it's just a constant need to educate and um have internal awareness of the need to be inclusive I would say tennis you know like we're amazing and I think have a lot of the best intentions are we there yet probably not um you know there's lots more we could do and and tennis even you know like tennis as a sport is probably perceived as a bit of that sort of middle to upper class anglo you know the pins and cucumber sandwiches so it's sort of got that it hasn't necessarily got the most inclusive brand within the community but it's an amazingly accessible sport to play um sort of both genders all ages um and all abilities so there's a a sort of a natural platform for inclusivity at tennis and I think what has happened really in the last probably you know eight to 10 years has been a um, just leveraging, leveraging that asset and really bringing to life and trying to showcase and show that we are an inclusive sport that we can be enjoyed by all. But, you know, and even again, from a workforce perspective, we're still working on that and we've got a lot of activities and proactive um, activities to try and diversify our workforce and create that more inclusive culture. So it's a journey. We're not bad. Mm. <laughs> um, you mentioned some of your, your colleagues and you just touched on some of the things that TA is trying to do to make it more inclusive. Um, I was wondering, with reference to that, what sort of opportunities are there for people with a disability to work in sport? Well, you know, it's funny. I sort of I give this question some thought because I would come at it more from the case of there's really like any job is open to anyone. Um, if you've got the skills and, um, you know, abilities in the sort of um, intellectual sense to be able to perform the tasks, I don't see there being a barrier for anyone based on sort of ability, physical ability or, or um, background. So all opportunities are available to, to people with a disability at tennis. I think, though, the key for me for people with disability looking for employment is to really hone in on identifying organisations that are investing in this area because they are the sorts of environments that will be really open-minded and not only open-minded but probably, um, you know, they will grab talent 
like this because it's recognised as a benefit, in fact. It's not just another candidate applying. This is a candidate that's better than others because they bring to the workplace a different perspective, a different opinion, a different lived experience, and that's an asset. Particularly, I mean, and we know the theory around how diversity can drive better performance and and business decisions. So look for organisations that get that and I think they will be the opportunity, that will be where the opportunities lie and and really the job type will be whatever you're interested in. Mm. This might be an inappropriate question, not too sure, but where, where do you kind of like draw the line for someone with a disability to where they can fit the role and when they can't? Um, yeah. Yeah, it's a hard one. Again, I would say I'll just talk from my perspective because I think every employer and, frankly, hiring manager or HR team will look at it differently. Um, we've got quite a broad spectrum. So we've got individuals that we're working on a program at the moment that will have um, people with Down syndrome employed into the business um, in certain positions. And then we've got people who've just got some physical um ability concerns that they need some slight adjustments with I think from my mind it's really find the right candidate understand what they need to make them successful and do what you can to support that and that may be the right candidate happens to be in a wheelchair which means you have to make sure that there's accessible wheelchair you know routes to the office or whatever that may be the facilities or it could be that they may need an interpreter or, um, I don't know, just whatever it is they may need, but understand the person and what those requirements are. And and look, the, the honest truth is if people want to find reasons to not support someone, they will. But it's those businesses that want to, that see it as an asset, as something that is, it's not just the right thing to do, it's, it's the thing to do. Mm. They'll move heaven and earth. Yeah. Um, so I remember like, I remember hearing the story about a, a blind man who was wor- working like some sort of sales organization. He was in a sales role and because he was blind, his other, his hearing was extremely heightened. Like he was a very good listener. And um, just through listening to the people he was trying to sell to, he smashed every single other person in his sales team because he was able to actually understand what they were looking for. And that just kind of pointed out to me that, you know, there are those advantages for people who do live with a disability because you've, in some cases, got these superhuman abilities that have just been heightened. Um, um, exactly right. But, but what, what are some of the other things that organisations can do to accommodate for people with a disability? Um, well, I can talk to the team member in my team so she is hard of hearing and um has she's unbelievable she lip reads incredibly well but what we did for her is put in place um interpretive services so with meetings or functions that were over a certain group um, we'd provide her you know she has access to an interpreter we also make sure like it's widely communicated she's very open about talking how she best communicates um we have and I'm going to do a poor job at listing all the things but so I suppose there's that internal awareness we have 
audio support through the computer and also a phone, a special phone that allows her to hear and understand what's being said. Um, and actually what's been fascinating is through COVID and us all working virtually, in some respects it's been easier for her because one of her biggest difficulties in the workplace in a meeting room was you would sit, you know, alongside people and opposite and some there, some there. And unless she can kind of eyeball you, it's quite hard for her to lip read. So meeting room environments were quite difficult, whereas at least on this platform we can see each other's faces really clearly and easily um so that's been sort of a unexpected benefit but of course people wearing masks in the street make that incredibly difficult for her to communicate and in fact for um upcoming in december for international day of people with a disability we're running an immersive program where we'll encourage team members to put themselves kind of tricky you've got to go on you turn your volume down, turn on auto captions and do a meeting just reading auto cue. It is so hard. And that's <laughs> that's her meeting, every meeting at work. And equally to your point earlier about that that person who was who was blind, you know, to do a, a meeting wearing a blindfold and just experience what that's like for something that we might take for granted day in day out but I think the big thing for for this person has just been I mean she's been with us now for nearly five years so I think over that time she we have a relationship whereby she would just say look Anna I need can I get some help with this or that and it's like of course let's just make it happen so it's probably again knowing the person and they will help you to know how you can help them that's awesome it's uh silver lining of COVID, hey? Like it's kind of made it easy in a way, which is great. Yeah. Um, How have you seen sort of attitudes and policies change to improve opportunities for people with a disability? Um, I think it's really, I think we're kind of in the moment now. Um, Actually, again, I'm biased, but I think Dylan's a major reason for that. I think we're starting to see and see people in a public forum now who may have physical disability or noticeable disabilities that is shining a light on abilities. I think the other piece for me, which is really big, is around certainly that sort of business leadership speak and the theory of leading performance is that criticality for diversity and um, an environment that's safe and welcome for people to share views and so that culture of safety by nature then allows for diversity because when you feel when you've got a group of people who are open-minded who are happy to hear another point of view who are happy to hear from someone who might be different from them they're by nature probably going to be a more welcoming team or environment to to welcome someone who may have a disability or or something different to them. So, and that that's a lot of light is being shared on that in, at a leadership sort of almost training or you know the the fads of leadership at the moment. So I think it's a lot of momentum shifting in this way. And I I know when we spoke in the lead up to today, I sort of said I actually see people with disability who have skills to offer a business as a a step ahead of others that may not 
because I just see a really increasing trend with organisations that are seeking diversity, like they're actively looking for it rather than maybe competing with that greater pool of talent. It's a good time. So, so if um, if someone's got a disability and they're in a job interview, they want to work in sport, what sort of questions should they be asking of their future or potential employer to make sure the organisation is, is fit for them? Because you mentioned that some are more progressive than others. So how do you kind of test the waters with them in the interview room to make sure that the organisation is, you know, doing what they should? I mean, you're, you're asking all the questions around culture, like try and get a feel for what it's like day in, day, life, day in and day out in that business, like what life is like for people. So, you know, talk to me about do you do, do, you do stuff as a working group? Like do you get together? Do you have engagement activities? What are the sorts of, what's the calendar of, of learning, of education that might be in place? Um, learning around disability or just anything? I would just leave it open because the answers to all of these things will be telling. If the answers to their learning calendar is, well, we have like a whole culturally immersive learning experience, well, that's a good sign. If it's mm-hmm. nowhere to be seen, interesting. You know, you, you're basically going to want to look for evidence that this business has taken steps to become more inclusive and that they have driven that as a value or an expected behaviour of their workforce because I don't necessarily think it's not also, it's not always, well, have you got somebody with a disability that's already working here or have worked here in the past because that may not necessarily be the best guide as to the quality of that experience. They may have and they could have treated the person like crap and it was horrible and you know, it's really about actually the broader workforce and how they position inclusivity and and celebrating diversity and they're the businesses you want to go for. So be asking questions around those sorts of things and the good ones will be leading with it. The good ones will have it in the job ad in the first place. Like we are an employer of choice because we care about this, because we invest in it. We celebrate diversity, etc. But I suppose the other side is, you know, they'll all say that, won't they? We all say it, but those that really mean it. So it's hard. It would be hard in just in that interview. You wouldn't want to kind of mm. ask too many questions. They might be put off. But yeah, I'd be going to culture. You want to know what the the culture of the organisation is as a good guide. Is is it worth testing with them? What lengths are they willing to go to to accommodate? your working arrangement? Yeah, I think, I mean, I I suppose it's also up to that candidate or that individual how comfortable they feel. But I think the sooner you can be quite transparent and open and, again, normalise the conversation. So I am the right candidate for this role and here are the reasons why. Also, what I bring to this organisation is a level of different perspective because I have a disability Um, In order to do my role, these are some things that would help me to be able to, you know, perform to the best of my ability or frame it to that way where it's not a liability, it's not like an annoyance or something they have to do on the side. No, this is actually part of the package of a great, talented candidate. Love how you frame that. It seems just quite logical and simple. Like, why wouldn't you ask that question? So... 
That's great. You um you mentioned just then a lot of organizations kind of just say it. You know, we, we are an employer of choice because we support people from all walks of life, whatever it might be. But what is um what, what is Tennis Australia doing specifically to make their workplace more inclusive for people with a disability? I think if I were pulling all of the things together, I just it's just normalizing it. It's just creating a I know I bang on a lot about culture and that culture of inclusivity, but to me that's really the heart. If you've got people that are open-minded and open to difference um, in whatever shape and form that comes, then it's going to be a great workplace for everyone, um, including people with a disability. So all of our efforts are focused on that. It's just about trying to open people's minds, have them, you know, stay in the life of, try a meeting in this, you know, as an immersive experience, come and watch wheelchair tennis, get in a wheelchair and try and play tennis. (laughs) Like little things like that are so eye-opening and they tend to, my belief is they, that storytelling and the lived experience or that lived learning is so connecting. People remember that. They really, it'll stick with them because the story was interesting or impactful for some reason. And, you know, go and try and just do one of these small tasks, which these individuals do all day, every day. And it's all of a sudden like, oh my gosh, wow, you can teach me. Like I need to learn from you. It just shifts the situation completely. So, you know, we're doing things like that at tennis. But as I said, we're still on a journey. Like we've got a long way to go as well. I'm really proud of where we've come, but we could be heaps better too. So a mm. um, couple of things, like you, you mentioned the superhuman element to these people, some of the things they can do. It made me think back to, to Kurt Fernley and his um, marathon race at the Commonwealth Games in 2018 where mm. He got the gold medal and then he showed the reporter his watch afterwards that said he had an average heart rate of 195 beats per minute for the last, I think, hour and a half, two hours, however long the race took. And I was just like, I'd be lucky if I get up to that in, you know, for a minute max. Like I'm cooked after a minute of getting up to that level, let alone doing it straight and averaging that sort of intensity. Yeah. Um, the other thing that you reminded me of when you talked about how Tennis Australia making it normal by running these activities like have a go at wheelchair tennis, you know, experience what it's like to work uh, under these conditions. Um, Ryan and I started on the same day at Cricket Australia. And so we did our induction together mm-hmm. and we met at the MCG nets. Like we were standing side by side and we thought, oh, this guy looks like a you know good person to be friends with. But we were in the MCG nets because um, – Aaron Dragwich, who was the diversity inclusion manager, was taking us through blind cricket. We got introduced to blind cricket as you know at the very start of entering the organisation. We were given these these masks that had varying levels of visit, visibility, and someone would roll down this ball with a bell in it, and we'd have to try and hit it. And I reckon about ninety five percent of people just missed it completely, and it was really um, you know a great experience to actually understand how these people, um, you know, play cricket under those Mm. circumstances. Mm. Another example, right at the back end of my time at Cricket Australia, just as COVID was about to hit, uh, Courtney Hagen looks after, um, was it Indigenous, uh, the Indigenous space at Cricket Australia. 
had organized this trip to go out to a, a camp in rural Victoria for a number of people. It was an overnight stay and everyone was just going to get immersed in the Indigenous culture out there. And that was kind of, you know, another great example of what mm. an organisation can do to help people learn more about this space and understand what it's actually like. Absolutely. Oh, they're great examples. And that's the, yeah, they're so, and like you're still, you still remember them clear as day and they, there's something mm. in mm. that, you know, because obviously for whatever was going on at that time or the way that experience was created, you know, you think back to that experience, can you ever remember some online program you did or some <laughs> compliance module or some policy? No. Like, do you know what I mean? It's so silly yeah, that we totally. sort of, why aren't <laughs> we doing more out. of this? Yeah, you it actually really lands. It. Yep, mm. exactly. Was, you're right, like, here's a 10-question quiz. You are now, you know, certified you know aware of diversity. Or, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Here's a certificate to say you know about diversity and inclusion. Mm, yeah. Exactly. It's, In one year, out the it's, other. Also, like, what I love about the Australian Open is how, like, Dylan Alcott's telecast, and it's not just him, but it's it's other matches of the wheelchair tennis. Like, that's amazing. You know, there's yeah. not many other sports that actually broadcast it far and wide, and I think that's something that I really love about the, the summer of tennis is that you get that insight. I, I can't name another sport, Rubes. Help me out. I, I don't know if you know, but... <laughs> I think that stands out because people actually see it. Mm. Like the, no one, mm. no one's seeing that if they don't kind of see it on TV because we don't really hear about it as much. So if you can get it out on the broadcast to millions of people, all of a sudden it sort of flicks the switch. So I think that, mm. that's something that's really important as well. Mm. Yeah, and they've done an amazing job, particularly using the platform of the AO, both for obviously the incredible growth that the wheelies have now had. Really, Craig Tiley, our um, tournament director and CEO, but he was the first of all of the Grand Slams to showcase, well, to allow the wheelies to be part of the main draw, but then also to obviously put them on the main broadcast and yeah. RLA. And, you know, Dylan still talks about that time and he reckons after the match, Craig reckons he nearly like ripped his shoulder kind of in the hug, just real, so aggressively <laughs> happy for it. But, you know, you just, it's sort of moments like that that you probably at the time was maybe just a decision on the fly, a bit of a scheduling, oh, what are we going to do? What do we put here? And and the impact and symbolism and effect that just that decision had now on the community, on every person that watched it, it's unbelievable. So to not take for granted but there's other things during the event that we we run our Australian tennis championship so that's um an, an event for people with an intellectual disability and we now have two streams for people with autism and also down syndrome and that's on show court two so like they they're on major sort of courts in the event we've also got our glam slam so that's celebrating our lgbti players and um, I'm going to forget. Oh, we have now a deaf and hard of hearing event. So there's lots of, and, and the irony is you go and watch these tennis players and they're unbelievable. Like to think that yeah. they're categorized as some level of disability is just yeah. ridiculous because they smash us all. I mean, they're <laughs> elite athletes. They are unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. I'll, um, I'll never forget, we're going back to Cricket Australia here, Anna, sorry. <laughs> no, but um, I'll never forget the day that we, because I was in community cricket and we, well, 
our department ran the inclusion chance for cricket. I remember going down there and I was just like, this is just crazy that there's people with, you know, some blind, some hard of hearing, um, some people with disabilities, like all these kind of things. And I was looking at it and I was just like, there's obviously absolutely no difference in (laughs) what is happening on this cricket field compared to a game that I saw on the weekend. You know, like it doesn't, it honestly didn't matter. And it was actually insane. Yeah. I was thinking, geez. It's so inspiring. I, I love it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, you know, you were talking before about getting on the sort of, you know, this is normalising it, is getting it on the public sort of eyeballs. Um, what was so incredible, it wasn't this year's Olympic. I feel like it might have been the Com Games maybe two years ago and it was particularly the swimming. And what they did was they would, they were into interrupting an able-bodied they do an able-bodied event and then a para event and it was the whole all of it was broadcast and it was so anyone tuning in to see Mm. the you know i don't know women's 100 meter you know relay then got to see this next race or the race before it and it was such a smart way to get a captive audience more aware and educated on the abilities of these incredible athletes i thought that was so smart mm. and just such a yeah anyway that was what's fun mm. to mind when you were talking about mm. yeah. if anyone wants to listen to what goes into making a, a paralympic athlete we did an interview with matt levy who swam in in tokyo it was part of a, a gold medal relay over there um we chatted to him just before he went over just about how he trains and how he is an elite athlete and some of the stuff they shared with us was incredibly inspiring. So if anyone wants to check that out, I believe he's in the early 100s, uh, that episode. Um, usually I'm pretty good with my episode numbers, yeah. but I reckon um, he's around that point. I reckon he's 110 to 120 you can scroll back <laughs> through. But um, um, Anna, you mentioned earlier one of the most impactful experiences for you and in this space was just immersing yourself and working alongside people with a disability. For people who would love to end up in a role like yours. What are some experiences or, or training other than that of just ticking a box that would be beneficial for those people who want a career in this space? Or don't do anything that requires ticking a box would be my first suggestion. <laughs> I mean, look, as I said at the start, I'm, I'm sort of an enthusiastic amateur. I, I'm so honoured to have kind of fallen into this opportunity and it's taught me more than I knew coming into it but I think get out like get out and immerse exactly those experiences you talked about at cricket where you went and did the stay in a first nations community or whatever that situation that immersive learning the more you can just be comfortable with inclusion and diversity will help you to then advocate for it because it's normal to you You know, like it's normal for me in an exec meeting to be the one that says, well, hang on, what about this perspective or have we thought about doing it this way? Because it just is part of, you know, how I suppose I think now. Whereas if it's seen as something over there to maybe learn or get a qualification in or I don't know, I I think if you're wanting to lead in this space, it has to be innately in your DNA to care really um 
because it can be hard, you know, like it can be still seen as that the battle you've kind of got to win and the need to keep reminding and the need to make sure that it isn't forgotten or whatever the topic might be that you've still got that front of mind. Um, you know, I'm not saying that that's not there. It, of course it still is. But to be the person that's the, the vocal at, at a senior leadership level, I think you've just got to really um, connect with your customers you know, connect with the people you're representing and, and do that respectfully. Um, yeah. Awesome. We uh, we advocate for people heavily immersing themselves in, in grassroots sports so they can get a feel for their the customers of sport. For people wanting to do a very similar thing in this space, what are some um, perhaps wheelchair tennis organizations be that at any level that people can approach to volunteer at oh gosh now you're putting me on the spot what i would say is head to our website (laughs) (laughs) i feel wheelies no we do have like a huge quite a now large network of um so what we'll probably find is it'll be wheelchair tennis coaches who then coach at certain clubs around the country and those clubs will be accessible clubs um, but there are often now coaches that have trained in um, in coaching wheelies and um, being able to, you know, even right up to the high performance level. So I'd probably go online and suss out either the wheelies coach and then, of course, just map it to your um, closest location. But, in fact, the team have done an amazing job at um, slowly pivoting picking off every state around the country to create what they're calling these wheelies hubs. So it won't be every club that will be able to necessarily offer this expert coaching, but within a sort of kilometre radius, there'll be one. Um, yeah, I, nice. I a few years back I used to work in that area and they just were kind of getting it off the ground then and now where you see it's come, it's just grown so much. And, you know, Dill, Heath, all of them we've got to thank. I think having those champions up there for people to aspire to be is drawn people to the sport more than, frankly, anything we would have done. Fantastic. Well, Anna, we, we might leave it there, but it has been unreal speaking to you and just hearing about, first of all, your journey into this space, but also all the things that Tennis Australia are doing and sport in general uh, are doing to make it more inclusive. Um, it's, it's been fantastic. So thanks so much for coming on and uh, good luck for the next few months. I'm sure you've got a bit of work to do by the time the AO comes around. Oh, look, my absolute pleasure. I've loved chatting about about all things inclusion, both at tennis but, you know, really in employment. It's, it's the topic we should be talking about. So thank you both for featuring it. And, um, yeah, might see you down at Melbourne Park in Jan. Alrighty, Ruse, what an episode. That was amazing to hear from Anna and just hearing about all the things that she did to get to where she is, but also all the activity that she is involved with to ensure that Tennis Australia is an inclusive organisation. Uh, wow. What did you learn? Oh, heaps, Ryan. Heaps. Plenty. Um, I think, you know, two of the main takeaways for me, you know, for one, if you're a person living with a disability and you want to work in sport, um, 
you know, jot down a few of those questions and challenge the organization you want to work out to make sure it is fit for you. And then secondly, if you want to work in that space and work with people with a disability, work with those people, then immerse yourself. Like Anna talked at length how they're trying to make it normal by introducing these initiatives into Tennis Australia so that, you know, it's just a normal thing. And that was one of the key things for her to be able to do this role was her own experience working with people who have a disability. So if you can, if this is a space you aspire to work in in the future, go out and find the organizations that you can volunteer in to be around these people, to understand them better, to understand their needs. And that way you can then take that experience into an organization and say, hey, I'm actually really well educated in this. I've spent a lot of time around these sorts of people. I understand what they're looking for and I can serve them better. So get out there just as you would volunteer in a grassroots footy club, netball club, soccer club, whatever. Get out there and find the sports with a disability team that you can support. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, similar to what we said and it's similar to your point, but go and, you know, experience what it's like to play that sport. Um, you know, we spoke about just before how we got to experience blind cricket and just to see how actually how hard that is for someone, you know, like us walking in there, but it just shows how amazing, amazingly talented they are to be able to play that. Mm. Um, and just seeing that firsthand and actually experiencing it for yourself, it, it, it gives you that knowledge about what what that sport is like and what, what it's actually like to be blind or, or have hard of hearing or whatever it might be. Um, the more you can understand, uh, the more it will just become second nature and normal for you. So it's really important. Um, awesome. What an episode. Mm. I love that. Anna's a legend. Okay. Yep. 100%. Um, so, yeah, amazing. Be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn. Uh, we'd love to chat uh, with you on there. Um, you can find a link to do so in our show notes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you.